yeah, getting this thing started, man. What is it exactly that you do? You know, what is Zach Leary's Dharma here? <laughs> what is Zach Leary's Dharma? Wow. Well, um, yeah, I guess simply put, um, you know, I've rediscovered my Dharma, or I should say reinterpreted it more than once throughout my life, for sure. Um, but in the latest phase of my life and incarnation, simply put, it's just to help others, you know, um, and to share the wisdom that I've accumulated and picked up along the way, thanks to a lot of the wonderful mentors who have come before me um, to take that wisdom and kind of put it in a structure that can help others in a way that um, makes sense for them, uh, meeting people where they're at, and um, in a way that makes sense for me, that feels authentic and um, has integrity and has kind of components of everything that I'm interested in and everything that I'm good at, which is, um, you know, in some ways, practical spirituality, for sure. Um, um, science and research, Dharma, helping people uncover their own Dharmas and figuring out what that is, healing, um, maybe just chipping away at whatever I can do to alleviate suffering in even just the smallest little way possible. You know, I think if we all have a, an opportunity to alleviate suffering, even if it's just a tiny bit, you know, collectively, that really makes a big difference. Yeah. So in practical terms, you know, in a pragmatic sense, uh, uh, not a philosophical one. Um, yeah, I work in the psychedelic space um, as a facilitator, as an educator, as an advocate, um, somewhat as a spiritual teacher, but I don't really think of it that way. But I kind of put that hat on from time to time, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you said something practical spirituality. I like that. <laughs> what? How would you describe what practical spirituality is as opposed to maybe uh, impractical spirituality? Well, <clears throat> um, it's a good question. And it's actually something that I um, picked up from the 12-step culture, which um, I've been a part of in and out for quite some time, over 20 years. and. A long time ago, somebody said to me, um, or not to me, but they said in a meeting, spirituality is nothing if it's not practical. Um, and, you know, what I take that to mean is that, you know, and especially in today's, I think, modern sort of uh, spiritual but not religious, um, you know, kind of greater transformational slash new age movement, um, spirituality can be very kind of esoteric and very philosophical and very kind of heady and sort of also at the same time, very airy, lofty. not very lofty. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think if we kind of distill that and take the elements and turn it into something that we can actually use on a daily basis, you know, I'm kind of more interested in that, you know, I mean, we can kind of all talk about, you know, the best laid plans and the best <laughs> laid ideas, but we actually don't put that into action um, for ourselves. And then, hopefully for others later on, it's it's not practical, it's not useful, you know, it just becomes just chatter. So, I mean, that's kind of what I mean by that, with all the, the noise out there and, um, you know, everybody kind of having their own platform, including myself, including you, you know, we all have these amazing platforms. And I think it's really in our best interest to take those platforms and to make them into kind of constructive 
forums that people can actually benefit uh, their lives from. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like giving back a little bit. Yeah. 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 I think giving back a little bit and just, um, you know, um, you know, uh, and especially in just kind of, kind of distilling practices in a way that makes sense for the individual, you know, um, I'm a big believer in um, bringing the practice to the student, not the student to the practice, you know, you could adapt and find whatever works for you and tailor it in a way that, Hey, it makes sense for you and take the good and leave the rest rather than, especially in like uh, traditional spiritual practices and traditions and ones that can sort of default to um, a lot of dogma, you know, so oftentimes it's really sort of, Hey, you're being told what to do. This is the path, do it this way. There's no other way. And if you don't do it that way, you're going to hell. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's created a lot of problems over the millennia for sure. And I think um, that's one of the great things about the modern age is I think we can really just sort of uh, piecemeal together a fabric, a tapestry that really speaks to our own individual hearts. Yeah, mm. it really is uh, momentous times that we're in. I mean, if one turns on Fox News, it may not seem like it, but you're just <laughs> going to be able to turn on to the right thing, you know, uh, tune in, like your dad would say, turn on and tune in. But to yeah. the right thing, you know, make sure you're, you can either turn on to the the darkness, the tumultuous world that we're in and get sucked into that. Or you can, yes, build a beautiful tapestry out of your life and almost like a um, um, like almost like a ritualistic lifestyle. Right. I, I see that as the ideal to the spiritual, practical life is like you you build like a almost a religion of your own life, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense and it's it's a great way of describing it um and uh yeah and I, I i really agree with all of that on um also in the in the same kind of token in the same thread i also don't believe that we should um you know bury our heads in the sand and avoid some of the um the darkness and the narratives that are out there even if they're not necessarily true but you know still kind of keeping a little bit of awareness out there about some of the suffering that is happening in the world, yeah. um, you know, just to keep our, because the world is such a smaller place now, you know, we don't have the luxury to be able just to kind of isolate and avoid everything that others are going through, you know, and just keeping a little bit of an ear and an eye and a heart open to what other people are going through as well. I agree. So where would you recommend somebody start? Because there are a lot of paths. There's a lot of yeah. ways in, a lot of methods. Um, but I think there's also some kind of similarity that we can touch upon in um, in all of these different paths, all of these different ways in. So if somebody has no idea what we're talking about right now, hypothetically, <laughs> and they're like, hey, Zach, uh, I'm interested, but I don't know really how to start along this path. Um, what would you say? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the hundred million dollar question, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's it's difficult. Um, you know, I think a lot of, um, I mean, I guess I would answer that by kind of um, encouraging everybody who's been exposed to some spiritual and or religious tradition, even if you grew up, you know, a non-willing participant of a very structured Judeo-Christian religion, 
um, to maybe take a step back and, and still kind of, hey, well, what was it about that that repelled you or what was it about that that spoke to you, you know, because there are many um, like you said, there, there are similarities in, in all of these paths. And, and, you know, there are countless similarities between Jesus, the Buddha, Krishna, Allah, and Muhammad, and, and everyone, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of universal truths that find their way into all of these traditions. Um, and I would really encourage uh, an individual who is seeking is to kind of, hey, open your heart to what that universal truth is. And you know, go out seeking, try different things, you know, it, it really doesn't, doesn't matter to me, but, you know, go find your, your local, uh, Sangha. And if they have a, you know, a, an open meditation on Saturday mornings, go to that, you know, go to, um, you know, a, a, a yoga class, go listen to Ramdas lectures, try, um, you know, reading, there's endless books to read and it's just, you know, just keep trying different things until a little spark um, you know, lights your heart. Yeah. And, and once that kind of happens, um, go with that, you know? Um, I mean, for me, like, you know, it's, it's, I mean, everybody has their own journey, but for me, the spark was ignited multiple times throughout my life. Um, you know, early on, you know, I was introduced to the spark that kind of later really became a fire. But when I was younger, I really didn't have like the, it really didn't have the discipline to really follow that, but it spoke to me and the seed was planted. And then 15 years later, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and I went back and I revisited it and just started exploring it. So I just encourage everyone to, exp to explore everything and rule nothing out. Mm, stay curious, right? Stay curious. Yeah. yeah. That's huge. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Stay curious. Stay curious. And stay open-minded, you know, stay open-minded. You know, I think anything that, you know, maybe you've closed off your 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 mind because the cognitive dissonance is so loud around, you know, certain paths or traditions and, and uh, you know, maybe re-explore that. Mm. I agree. Mm. I agree. So what was your spark, man? Would you want to get into that? What was the thing that was like, <laughs> wait a second, you know, that made you think a little bit differently? Um. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. When, when I was a, a teenager, um, I was following the Grateful Dead around the country, and um, you know, kind of a classic sort of American hero's journey kind of tale of following the Grateful Dead and discovering magic along that path, and following them around. And um, and of course, I'm very aware I did have the the blessing of Ramdas being part of our family circle and. And a lot of those seeds were planted when I was um, when I was a teenager, and you know I read "Be Here Now" and really liked what Ramdas you know said and how he felt when I saw him. And then I got introduced as well when I was a teenager to the ISKCON movement, to the Hare Krishna movement. Mm. Um, but at that time, it was it was pretty fundamentalist, and um, so all of that just sort of like yeah, it was like well, the seeds were planted, but. I, I wasn't going to take any of that really on. It just felt too, too much of something that um, I wasn't ready to be a part of, you know, yeah. and mm -hmm. too complicated and just too, too ornate and just sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and I kind of went on a, a different path that was um, more due to finding my identity and discovering what my identity wasn't, 
went on this whole other trajectory working in corporate America. And um, like so many others, I, I hit a spiritual bottom. You know, I just went on this path that I thought was the right thing to do. And after about 13 years of doing that, I realized, hey, that wasn't the right thing for me. And I was incredibly unhappy and bankrupt and just feel, felt like I was living my life by default, no passion, no interests, and just kind of a neutral. Um, but yet a lot of the external was okay. Like the paycheck was okay and things like that. And I just was sort of like the, the classic waking up to the American mythos, you know, of like, oh, wow, that doesn't feel right. Um, <laughs> and then I um, revisited my relationship with Ram Dass, um, and things just changed from there. You know, I, I kind of uh, hadn't really seen him in, in a few years and never really thought of him as a teacher for me. He was more of just kind of a family friend. But then I revisited my relationship with him. And then it was like the stars, the sky opened up. <laughs> it was just like okay. I met him again for the first time. After his stroke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was well after his stroke. Um, I mean, his stroke was in 97. And, um, and then, um, yeah, I kept in touch with him for you know, on and off for years. And then I uh, revisited him, I visited him again in 2008. And from that moment on, it was uh, a very different relationship. Mm. And that was the spark that just, uh, it was like meeting him for the first time, even though I spent so much time with him, but yeah, everything was just different then. Yeah, man. You have such an interesting journey in life. I can imagine you realize that, but you were just thrust into this incarnation with, all of these icons and legends and you're following the Grateful Dead around at such a young age and you literally have yeah. Ram Dass as a friend, but yet it's like, it was like nothing to you because it was like, you didn't know any different. It's so interesting. It's yeah. <laughs> you had to reach rock bottom in order to realize that you kind of had it all along. You know, Ram Dass was there for you all along. Yeah, he, he was, he was there for me all along and Maharaji's love and, and just, and kind of a, a whole path that was uh, kind of tailor made for someone like me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. it was there all along. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this one, man. Um, I've talked to a lot of people mm. that love Ram Dass, but I don't think they've ever met him. Mm. You have a personal relationship with the guy, mm -hmm. so I imagine you have a different outlook on who he is just because simply mm -hmm. like you're in the same room as him having conversations with the guy. Mm -hmm. How would you describe who this figure of Ram Dass is to the world, having a relationship with him? Like how to somebody or going back to somebody that doesn't know any better to somebody that has no clue who Ram Dass is. Who is he? What is Ram Dass all about? What is his spirit? Why do we love Ram Dass so much? Yeah, I mean, wow, that's a huge question. <laughs> a, <laughs> I'm laying the big a, ones on you. Sorry, man. <laughs> that's a really, it's a big one. Um, hmm. Well, I think in answering answering that and kind of taking a look at it myself, um, it's really valuable and beneficial to understand the transformation from Richard Alpert to Ram Dass. Mm and who Richard Alpert was. Um, you know, these days, we really take it for granted that, hey, we can live any kind of life we want, we can change our name, we could go to every transformational festival in the world and, yeah. and do whatever we want, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
but in 19 you want this time around yeah he could be anything <laughs> you want you know but also externally and finding our tribes is much easier these days you know it's kind of everywhere um but 1950s america was a very different place and um you know the story of of richard albert and um you know becoming this this professor at, at harvard university and um you know working in the early psychedelic field and um you know this guy who was really on this trajectory for like the american dream and accomplishment and status and tenure and getting published and all of those things and um and you know back in those days and you know moving into the mid 60s you know expressing dissatisfaction with that path that wasn't something people really did you know it was like what do you mean that's everything that's america what, what couldn't you love about that um and then you know as he was kind of going along the path the incarnation of richard albert and uh um, the frustration that he saw with um some of the psychedelic work um and then when he went to india and met this person this being whatever he was <laughs> met this person who had a different map of consciousness um who had a different plane of existence yeah and he was able to take a little bit of a shard of that light and bring it back to us here in the west um and did so like very few other Westerners ever have, you know, um, you know, Ramdas was just a guy. He was just a man. Of course, he had was burdened with humanity and his struggles, just like everyone else. Of course, I'm not putting him on that kind of pedestal, saying he wasn't infallible or anything. But he did get something very unique from Neem Karoli Baba that many of the others didn't get in such a profound way. He did get a shard of that light, of that light of unconditional love. And it wasn't an act. Yeah. It wasn't an act. It wasn't a pretense. Ramdas did get in, in uh, the yogic system, they call them cities, um, which means yogic kind of powers that you get from doing practice, from doing sadhana. And Ramdas did get some of those cities. He really did get that capacity to beam you into a field of unconditional love. And it wasn't a joke. It wasn't pretense. Um, it doesn't make, you know, any of the mistakes he made as a human being, erase any of those, but he did get those. And he did lay a map out for us to follow for all of his decades of work afterwards to follow and to tap into and to really examine the very nature of what it means to be alive, what it means to be conscious, what it means to be a seeker, what it means to be human you know um and i think you know the juxtaposition of of ramdas having that core kind of foundation of traditional um psychotherapeutic expertise into the inner workings of the human condition mixed with the spiritual map and the spiritual plane created just um a curriculum i think of of spiritual life that um is second to none in, in western life for sure mm. Yeah. So, yeah, from what I've come to realize, the um, what makes Ramdas special is not necessarily Ramdas. I mean, I'm not downing him, but it's his relationship with his guru, and yeah. it's like his testament to Neem Karoli Baba. And yeah, 
it's feeling the faith of him to his guru and it almost like transfers into us because like we have to believe ramdas there's that's part of the you know that's part of the mix is we have to believe this guy of who neem karoli baba was um so what am i trying to say here hmm. it's like um what makes ramdas special it's like it seems like he was a true disciple of neem karoli baba even though there was probably no actual initiatory process like we have in other lineages but it's like he was really the chain of that love from neem karoli baba to us yeah ex exactly and um yeah and he, and he was and i do think that look there were many people who were in contact with neem karoli baba as well and spent time with him but i really do feel that ramdas got something that a lot of the others didn't mm. um not in a in an interpersonal way but in an extra personal way um, in that a lot of other people did get sort of that seed that affected them interpersonally, but Ramdas was able to take that seed and also share it with others. Mm -hmm. um, and look, even if you get into Ramdas and get really dive into his work and find, hey, you know, maybe the teachings or the vibrational quality that is Neem Karoli Baba doesn't speak to you, I still think that you can extrapolate the idea that or the notion that well you can clearly see he believes it yeah you know? exactly so it's <laughs> like, well, why does he believe it so much it, you know is he really bullshit in all of us there's no way he's so not yeah i mean he like, really got it it's true faith it's yeah. really it's true faith like beyond the the dogmatic faith this is real in our lifetimes faith of a um of a saint and it's so crazy that we even get to have that in our lives and witness that in our lives. Not somebody 2000 years ago that might have lived <laughs> and, you know, got translated from three different languages. Like, no, this guy, we have pictures of Neem Karoli Baba. And yeah. Ramdas has so much conviction in who this guy was. And he gave it to the, to the West. And it's, a, it's up to yeah. all of us to be able to, I guess, um, I don't know, like get the message of what that all means. Like you have to get the story, you know, because like I feel as though Ramdas and Neem Karoli Baba is like a story, almost like the story in the Bible or story in the Vedas. It's a story that you have to understand and get. But once you get it, man, I don't know. It just it, stuff <laughs> just lines up. Like once you get it, that's when I feel like Maharaji enters your life. Like once you can understand the story. Maybe that's just the start of Maharaji entering one's life. Like once you start, like, there's yeah. something I know for me, something just clicked one day and I was like, wait, oh, I get it. And then ever since then, man, I don't know. I feel like life's been different. It's, um, yeah, it feels like life has been different. And you said it earlier. It's like, you know, I think real faith is a culmination of belief in your own personal experience. You know, real yeah. faith is not just resting on the dogma of what someone else is telling you to believe but yeah. you know it's really your own personal relationship and experience with whatever it is that, that you choose to follow you know um exactly yeah so what is the significance of neem karoli baba then to you because we explained mm -hmm. ramdas but now let's extend that to the, the source <laughs> why is neem karoli baba so important isn't he just a man yeah i mean he certainly was just a man um you know i think he was uh, i mean he was 
well, he took incarnation as a man. <laughs> mm-hmm. And certainly, um, from what I understand and what I've heard and what I've read, I'm um, certainly dabbled in some of the kind of human incongruities of what it means to be alive. I don't, I don't think he was a perfect man, but he, um, yeah, you know, so in the Indian system of, um, of yoga and all of its, um, lineages and paths and spiritual tentacles, I guess, there was a great tradition of saints, of Indian saints, right? Um, there are not as many of them these days. Now and then, I still think one can manifest, but I think the modern world has made it more difficult for um, the true authentic saints to to really appear and manifest and to teach. Now and then, there's there's I th- think there are some exceptions, but for the most part, guys like um, you know. Um, Named Gurli Baba or Ramana Maharshi or Ramakrishna, or, yeah, you know, it's a it's a long list. Um, and then the Mayama and so on. You know, they they manifested in a very specific time where the conditions were very ripe. <laughs> they were very ripe. Um, and what that basically means is that um, you know, they did sadhana, they did spiritual practice in such an authentic manner that they were able to connect to source. You know, that's it. Or if you want to call source God, go for it. But, you know, whatever you want to define a source. And they were able to connect with that field forever, you know, and just be there. Um, and Ingrali Baba was was one of those, you know. I mean, he, he really had true yogic powers, abilities, <laughs> miracles, vibrational tendencies that um, are very, very difficult for most of us to attain, you know. Um, you know, we hear so much, especially in the Eastern practices, um, you know, the path of enlightenment and things like that. And, you know, and I I mean I always cringe when I hear that because it's it's like I'm not trying to be cynical or or trying to discourage anyone, but it's highly unlikely that you're going to get enlightened. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't count on it. You know, yeah. I mean, I think we're going, the rest of us mere mortals are just going for something else. We're just going for peace, love, you know, equanimity, balance, um, and maybe service if we're lucky, but you know, we're not going to get enlightened like the Buddha or Neem Karoli Papa, you know? Yeah. Um, but those guys did. They did. They are, um, representations of what enlightenment actually is you know realization enlightenment moksha nirvana whatever you want to call it um yeah you know and i knew who neem Crowley baba was when i first read be here now and when i was 16 years old in the back of a volkswagen bus and i knew who he was and i saw his pictures and went to Artie's house and pictures everywhere and i was like okay you know that's cool i don't know um <laughs> but yeah, like this in the earlier story, when I reconnected with Ron Boss in 2008, it was um, like I met Maharaj Neem Karoli Baba for the first time, too. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So the significance of Maharaji is that it's possible, even though we might not get it in this lifetime. Yes, he was just a man, mm. But maybe a little bit more than a man as well. Or maybe he just conducted himself in a different manner than most men or women do, (laughs) which that in turn made him saintly. 
So it's like he was proof, proof of the pudding. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way to put it. I mean, he, he was proof of the pudding and proof that, look, if you dedicate your life to a certain path and and do it with authenticity and and assuming all the external conditions are also right as well, you can achieve that that state of being and that state of play. Um, you know, and and I think um, you know, the great um uh kind of lesson from all of these saints, not just in Curly Bob, but from all of them, is that even if you just get and and this is why the guru system, you know, has its place, is that even if you just get a little shard, a little speck of that sense of unconditional love, that sense of transmission, and you just get to be in that field from time to time, it can benefit you on an ongoing basis. You know, my contact is is limited, but when I do drop into it, it's there. I feel it. It's authentic. It's real. Yeah. yeah. It's real than real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I don't even know where to go from here. <laughs> this is good stuff. It's um quite interesting that we live amongst these beings. I personally have never met a saint like that. I don't think, hmm. not with anybody that I could feel is reading my mind. You know, not I've read stories from Ram Das from um, the Miracle of Love book. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend to everybody. Yeah. Um, and some of that stuff, it's like there's no way these people are making this up. And some of it is like, yeah, this guy is like a. It's like a Superman. He somehow has these powers that there's no way all of these different people, and especially Ram Dass, are yeah. making up. Um, yeah, I've had a, cu- a couple of a couple of them uh, um, myself, which I'm, I feel very very fortunate. I've, uh, I mean, I've had some kind of intangible, you know, out of body uh, kind of experiences with Maharaji's grace for sure. Um, but I've had two darshans with physical human beings mm-hmm. that have, uh, I don't know, have rocked my my world <laughs> for sure. <laughs> mm. I've heard a lot of stories of that. Um, so who? what was the lineage? Well, one was Amma and another was uh, Chota Maharaj, who was, uh, they called him Little Maharaji, who was, uh, okay. his ashram was a few doors up from Neem Kuroli Baba's in uh, Brindavan. And um, he died maybe about 10 years ago, left his body, but I guess he was said to have been anywhere from 120 to 150 years old. Wow. No documentation, but they know for sure he was at least 115. Um, and he was just a beautiful, beautiful little, very, very small <laughs> dreadlocks down to the floor, um, sadhu who just kind of lived in his little tiny ashram there. And uh, I got a transmission from him that was, um, yeah, that was pretty otherworldly. And then the other one was Amma, you know, who uh, Amma's, you know, probably the most famous uh, living uh, Indian saint guru of today. And um, yeah, it was extraordinary. I mean, I could tell you the story if you want, but it was, it was, it was was something else. quite intriguing man how it's like these people like they have the i like to say it's like a chain it's like something like they hold this power and they can bestow people with this power and it's not like power that we think of as in like superhero movies it's just love (laughs) yeah 
It's just somehow they just open one up to love. It's kind of like a psychedelic yeah. experience, but with a human being. Quite interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Um, you said something before about how Maharaji was in a state of play. Would you say that is a commonality between all of these saintly people is a state of play in this life? I think so, yeah. Um, you know, the idea of, um, especially in um, the Indian traditions and the Hindu traditions, you know, this idea of Leela. Yeah. You know, Leela is translated as the divine play. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we talk about the stories of Krishna or Ram or Hanuman or whoever, you know, we refer to it as Leela, you know, oh, so-and-so is going to give discourse on, on Leela of, of Krishna and Radha and, and their pastimes. And, um, and you know, and that is, it's a constant state of, of play and of, of being in a dance, you know, and every word is a song, every step is a dance, you know, and you're constantly in an interpersonal interaction and dance with these, these figures, um, intangible or not. And I think it's, it's kind of looking at that. I mean, that's one thing that I am find so attractive about that system of devotion and that tradition is that it's very playful. It's fun. It's, it's never taken too seriously. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of song and dance. There's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of mischief. And, um, uh, so yeah, kind of that, that state of play. And if you read about Neem Karoli Baba, I mean, the guy was a constant trickster, you know, <laughs> he, he was always just in this, the, this field of just shaking things up, you know, yeah. and I think it's a beautiful quality to have. I agree. I agree, man. Unless you uh, become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I yeah, guess. exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, man. Exactly. The kingdom of heaven is within, right? That's it. That's what they yeah. say. Yeah. And that's how we bear the suffering and darkness here that we talked about. It seems to be like we just, uh, I don't know. I was going to say you play with it, but that even doesn't even sound right. But, <laughs> uh, but I guess it is like that because we, are, we each have our own darkness and suffering and woes of the body. So I guess it's just like finding that sense of play within our own strife. And yeah. that seems to be how we actually enjoy this life, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, if we take ourselves um, too seriously, um, yeah. you know, I think that's when you start kind of hanging on, you're, you start gripping too tight, you know, <laughs> you start yeah. grabbing onto to the side of the rails a little too tightly, you know, when you start taking yourself and, and all of these things just too seriously. I think it's really important just to um, stay flexible. Yeah. Know? Yeah. You got to lighten up, stay flexible in the yeah. mind, <laughs> the body, and the spirit. For sure, bro. For yeah. sure. Um, and I guess that's the purpose. The true, pr- I mean, all right. So let's get into this psychedelics, man. Cause I know mm-hmm. you're big into that. I'm big mm-hmm. into it. Would you say that's ultimately the purpose of psychedelics is to, I mean, this might be an oversimplification, but is to like, just let go a little bit of your ideal of yourself, like what you think you are and just kind of lighten up a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, let's take mental health out of it for a second. You know, just 
putting that aside for a second, just kind of our everyday waking state of what it means to be human or on the path. Our minds have a very, very effective way of creating narratives and stories and boundaries around the idea of what it means to live within a so-called reality, right? And those stories include, you know, our own life's path, our relationships with others, how others treat us, how we treat others, what we do, what we don't do, all of our actions, all of our success, all of our pains. And we take these stories in our, in our view uh, with, with others and uh, projections on, on the world. And we have a knack of turning that into what we think is reality, right? And human beings are so convinced, well, that is reality and that is not. Um, And I think psychedelics are perhaps the most powerful tool to create the initial break from that illusion. Um, Sure, there are other practices you can do to sustain that. Psychedelics, you can't do them ongoing every single day. Um, But they're a great way to snap that, the Maya. Yeah. To snap the illusion into, you know, having that great awakening of whatever you think reality is, that's not it, you know, and psychedelics will expand your worldview mm-hmm. and showing you that there's just so much more out there. Yeah. So much more. That there's another way, right? There's an, and not just one other way, <laughs> infinite choose your own adventure paths, you know, yeah. it just can go on and on and on. And yeah. They have a, a very you know, powerful way of, of getting you there. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I would say it's, oh, I don't want to say the, uh, yeah, I'm going to say it. it's the most powerful way to get there, at least the most efficient for what they are. Hmm. Like, I mean, you, your life could change with five grams in six hours at hand. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Five yes, grams so, of yeah. mushrooms in one afternoon. And you could have a completely different trajectory of life after that. No question about that. Absolutely. They are the fastest way to disrupt it and accelerate you to that place. But what you have to do with that afterwards, yeah, that's kind of up to you. And that's a different story, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, man. I like to say it's like a two-step process to this this whole thing we call the path. It's one realizing that there is a path, you know, waking up out of the illusion of Maya, and then two, actually walking the path. <laughs> well, know? Ramdas is the best example of that. He really is. Yeah. And the the um winter of sick of um winter going into um or of early 67 before he went to India, he was living in the gatehouse at Millbrook doing LSD every single weekend and when he was still Richard Albert, Alpert, and so incredibly frustrated with the notion that you have to come down, mm-hmm. you know, and just thought, you know, this isn't sustainable. This is not an ongoing path. And he had not figured out the rest yet. And yeah, he got the wake up, but he couldn't figure out how to integrate it and how to keep this into a sustainable paradigm. Then he went to India, became Ramdas you know, swiped another map of consciousness. And that way, when he continued to do psychedelics, it was like, oh my God, it was this ever ending, never ending play of like, oh, it's not about the peaks of chasing peak experience. It's just about expansion, you know? 
And I just, I love his story when I get into this conversation, because I think it is the most adept, astute, important kind of case study for what integration means and how to do it right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, I mean, I was going to say he didn't do psychedelics after he got back from Maharaji, but I'm pretty sure he did, actually. No, he did. He did. He completely did. Yeah, it's a complete misnomer that he stopped. It's it, it's it's not true at all. Um, he totally did psychedelics, um, not as often, but he did do them. I mean, I did with did mushrooms with Ramdas and Maui in 2012 or something. You know, man, uh, what was yeah. that like? What kind of conversations did you guys have? Um, not many, actually, <laughs> not many conversations. Um, it was a lot of staring at the sun and staring at flowers and. Um, and rum and rum does, um, saying yum, 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 yum. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's awesome. And it was great. No, it, it was, it was wonderful. Um, you know, I wanted to talk about Maharaji. He just wanted to talk about Timothy. So it was kind of this, huh. this, this fun little play that we were in, but yeah, that's interesting. yeah it was great. Wow, man. <sighs> yeah. I mean. Do you think they are needed psychedelics for us to um, become a better people altogether? Would you? I know we can do it without it, right? But I think it would take a lot longer if we didn't have um, psychedelics at our disposal. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do know what you're saying, and and some some ways I totally agree, and some in other ways um, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I used to be much more of a zealot um, than I am now today, because I do think that psychedelics um, can also um, accelerate qualities that are already inherent to the individual. So like a really just baseline stupid example, let's just do it. Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I don't think that if Donald Trump had a heroic dose of psilocybin surrounded by the best cordoneros in the world and the best container in the world, I don't think it would make him a better person. Mm-hmm. I think it would just accelerate his madness and his hatred and his the darkness in his soul. He's already too far gone. Yeah. So I don't think that it, it can necessarily turn every single person around into a being of light and truth and love and compassion. I'm, I don't necessarily believe that, but I do think that those, and again, putting mental health aside, those who have kind of a capacity to already be predisposed to compassion and yeah. expansiveness and loving awareness and all those things, absolutely, they can certainly make a huge difference in our population at large, no doubt. I agree. <laughs> yeah, it's like you have to have a little bit of a moral foundation before you go in there absolutely yeah and you know there's certainly cases where look you can have been living in the darkness and really struggling with your own suffering and psychedelics can show you some light and really help pull you out of that but i think if you're already already a fundamentally shit person i'm not so sure it's gonna help you yeah maybe next incarnation you know <laughs> yeah maybe the next one <laughs> next That's time around. Sure. i like to say that there is a definite correlation between psychedelics and one 
taking them and changing their ways. Is there a definite correlation between that? I can see how it can change people and it does, but it's definitely not a causation. It's not a, a guarantee somebody takes mushrooms and they become a new, but it helps, you know, it definitely helps. Yeah. It can help. <laughs> Absolutely. It sure can. You know, I, 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 for the most part, I, I, while I say I'm less of a zealot, I also, on the other hand, I contradict myself too and saying, well, you know, in most cases, you've got nothing to lose. <laughs> you know, yeah, you try. you've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, man. Um, I'm just glad we even have these things at our disposal because I, uh, if it wasn't for mushrooms, I don't think I, I'd still be caught in the darkness, man. You know, I'd still be just trying to, I don't even want to get into it, I, but I'd still be in a dark place. And mushrooms just helped me see life very, very differently, very, very quickly. And uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. sacrament, I think. Absolutely. They completely are a sacrament. And they've, um, I mean, the, the wonderful thing about them is that they've been a sacrament for, throughout yeah, that's the, time, yeah. you know? <laughs> Yeah. They, they're they're an integral part of the human story um yeah and have been since pretty much the dawn of of man you know every single indigenous culture on the planet has had some interaction with psychedelic plants you know yeah. um except eskimos because it's too hard to grow anything up there but other than that you know mm -hmm. and um and i think that's the beauty and that's one thing i love so much about the psychedelic renaissance is that it's um really reigniting this this um uh this connection with our ancestors with our roots with kind of an, an ancient wisdom paradigm you know that you know these tools have been here all along um and for us to discover rediscover them in the modern age is really um i mean like you you see so many correlations with people who use psychedelics successfully they get back in touch with nature they become a little bit more conscious about their surroundings maybe they start eating better they certainly start treating people better um, start treating themselves better and it just really gets us more in balance with our ecosystem you know mm -hmm. both internally and externally amen to that yeah how would you summarize the power of psychedelics for you personally? I know you've probably had mm. hundreds of experiences and many yeah. different circumstances and situations, but again, going back to it, to the layman, someone that <laughs> has no idea, maybe they're interested in mushrooms. How would you describe what it did for you at least? Um, it's twofold. It's, it's, two, it, it's kind of split into two halves. Um, one, when I was younger and, um, you know, I probably started using them too early, but it is what it is. But when I was following the Grateful Dead around and all of that and discovering music and spirituality and community and I mean, psychedelics just, wow, they just changed my worldview overnight, you know, really got me in touch with what I feel is the essence of magic and the essence of exploration and the essence of Cam Joseph Campbell's own hero's journey and what that means and just expanded my worldview into something that, you know, my life would just be so incredibly different had I not seen that, um, experienced that. And gosh, you know, those early experiences were just, I mean, they, they just changed everything um, and just gave me this blueprint for how I see the world that um, was 
forever different, you know? Um, and then I took a little break because I struggled with substance abuse and I kind of took a break from everything for a while. And then when I revisited them, then it sort of went from how like psychedelics changed my view of the external to how they changed the view of the internal. They really helped me understand my own demons, my own kind of penchant, my own style for suffering and why I default to that, um, getting me in touch with my own pain, mm-hmm. uh, my own fears, and really helped me kind of find a new way to grab onto some light and some love and some own my own self-love, you know? So it was kind of a twofold experience. Um, you know, doing them as I got older, it's very, very different than doing them when I was younger, much more difficult. Like I didn't really have a challenging experience when I was young, you know, so I didn't have much life behind me. It was all so carefree. It was beautiful, yeah. huge heroic doses and just <laughs> fantastic. But now as I get older, it's, um, I mean, I, I still really enjoy it, but it's definitely work. You know, it's definitely like looking under the hood and seeing, wow, okay, this is all these different you know, qualities and experiences that I've had along the way that really can be sometimes really hard to look at, but always worth it. Yeah, <laughs> always yeah. worth it. Always. Yeah. yeah. That's the interesting part of it. Even though um, we can have these difficult experiences in the moment while we're while we're tripping. Afterwards, when we come down, it always feels worth it. At least oh. for me, personally speaking. Yeah absolutely me too it's mm. always worth it i always take get something new from it i always come back maybe just a little bit wiser and a, a little bit more aware of um of who i am yeah man yeah. amen to that oh man it's crazy we're still living in the demonization of them you know the facade of the drug war that your dad fought so uh, fervently yeah. against it's crazy that we're still in the midst of that it's these such beautiful substances that show us light and love in our own life and ways to mitigate our own suffering yet they're still highly highly illegal it's it's such a travesty i like to say it's a crime against humanity and when these things eventually are legal hopefully in the future we look back at these times as a a blight in the the history of our species that we that we criminalized nature yeah (laughs) yeah it's crazy um but it is changing you know it is changing um we're getting there we're we're slowly we're getting there um yeah slowly we're we're getting there um and and it's a good thing and i think the um you know the mental health applications of psychedelics have really helped to move the needle for for the entire movement you know even outside of mental health and the work that we see, um, you know, the impact that psychedelics have had, like on our veteran communities and and those with serious, complex post-traumatic stress and really seeing how that has impacted them, benefited them, has really helped to change kind of the fabric for people outside of our circle, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I do hold out, hold out hope, you know, I, I think the, the climate is um, certainly better than it was 10 years ago. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah, man. When people who don't believe see people that aren't hippies doing mm-hmm. it, you know, of the like of the psychedelic people doing it, like veterans, yeah. Yeah. I think it sparks something in people. 
or could at least. I think it has the potential to spark something like a, that sense of curiosity we talked about. Like, huh? It, it sparks a sense of curiosity, but it also kind of sparks this sense that like tripping away at all the propaganda. Yeah. It's like for decades now, and you know, you could go back to um the the 60s and early 70s when you kind of see the psychedelic drug war propaganda that was fueled by the united states government go to youtube and watch the propaganda films they were made by the government and sadly those were really effective you know there are still so many people out there who believe that who believe oh my god if i take lsd i'm gonna think i could fly and jump off a building yeah or if i take you know, a huge dose of mushrooms, I might have a psychotic break and, and never come back and et cetera, et cetera. And it's still like, so when, like what you were just saying, and um, it's like, yeah, it chips away at all of that, but it also helps to redefine the narrative and just like the lies that the public has been fed around these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, man. Um, we're getting there. We're getting yeah. there. Slowly. <laughs> it seems slow. Um, but if you, because Oregon, right? Didn't they just legalize it? Yeah. For, for uh, psychiatric use, what last year, yeah. years ago? Yeah. Oregon has, has, you know, they're doing it. Colorado's about to do it. Um, yeah. If that happened in the '60s, there would be a revolt. So I think <laughs> about that. It's it. It seems slow, but really, it's actually not in the scheme of things. I mean, I don't know. Would you say it's slow or in the scheme of things quick? Because I would say it's kind of quick. I don't know. I'm I'm in the air about that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, the amount of progress that's been made in the last five to seven years is crazy. It's gone way. The last seven years have happened way quicker than I ever thought that they would. Um, The strides that have been that have been made is um, truly extraordinary. I mean, we're in a we're way further down the road than I thought we would be had you asked me ten years ago. Mm. So, yeah, we'll see. The best is yet to come. <laughs> I think so, man. I think yeah. so. And then it would just be like a domino effect. All these states that do decide to pass legislature around it, other states will follow suit. And then ideally, I guess, other countries. And then kumbaya, we're in a, <laughs> we're a psychedelic world eventually. Yeah. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. But I think, um, you know, a huge, uh, you know, that also kind of t- ties into the, the greater umbrella of the failure in the war on drugs not just psychedelics you know mm-hmm. i think everybody agrees um you know no matter what side of the fence you're on that the war on drugs is a failure you know yeah. um you know and i mean all mind and mood altering substances it's an utter and complete failure and we've wasted trillions of dollars um incarcerated far too many people especially people of color um you know decimate an entire generation due, due to this. And, um, you know, so I think there's been a little bit of course correction that psychedelics have helped to spark. Mm. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that psychedelics get grouped into the umbrella term of drugs too. Yeah, it is. It is. And it isn't at the same time. It's like, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously like I'm, I'm, I'm not an advocate for, um, you know, drug addiction, but I'm also an ag- an advocate for cognitive liberty, you know, and yeah, that yeah. you have the right to change how you feel, no matter what you want to do, you know, yeah. hey, you know, and I believe that true for all substances. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree. 
It's not like the laws are making people not do drugs. Everyone, we're all doing drugs. Everybody's on yeah, drugs. <laughs> exactly. And, and it's, it's your choice. You know, it's your choice. You have to exercise personal responsibility. And, you know, every um, case study and all the data in the world shows that, you know, once you start decriminalizing even things like heroin and cocaine, you are going to see more um, public support for harm reduction, for treatment. Um, less criminalization and hopefully less addiction. But, you know, you, you have to look at this as a, you know, it's a civil rights matter and a public health matter. It's not a criminal matter. Yeah, you exactly. Know. Yeah, man, we should all have the freedom to do what we want with our own consciousness, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, That's what your dad would say, right? Absolutely. <laughs> from, from day one. That's it. Yeah, man. Uh, I love your dad. Never met him. Was he a great guy? Was he as great as a guy as I see him as? Because I see Tim Leary and I'm like, damn, he's a. There's something about that guy. He has a great soul, like a great spirit. Like, was he a good dude? Good dad? Absolutely. No, he was. <laughs> he, he really was. He was. Uh, he was. A, he was a great guy, and you know, had his struggles just like all of us. But um, yeah, he was. A, he was a great father um, and an amazing an amazing amazing mind you know i mean he really was um you know when you hear that phrase the smartest guy in the room <laughs> he really was the smartest guy in the room yeah <laughs> like every time just, and he was funny and, oh god so funny <laughs> so funny yeah so it's a great combination he's For great sure. comedic philosopher right yeah absolutely miss him a lot <laughs> <laughs> r.i.p tim larry man um <laughs> On that note, hey, man, uh, I think we could probably start to wrap this thing up. Do you have anything else you want to say? Not really. No, I just enjoyed hanging out. Um, yeah, I mean, just one the only promotional thing I'll say is if anybody's interested, I teach an online psychedelic studies course that starts again December 6th. Head to my website, ZachLeary.net, if you want to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Zach. I appreciate you coming on here, sharing your time, effort, and wisdom with me and everybody that will watch in the future. Um, keep doing your thing, man. You're a real. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, likewise, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. And uh, yeah, peace and love to you. Peace and love to everybody. Good brother. Goodbye.